Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, But but also, we don't want to be your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Hello, feedback. What's up, rest church? Good morning. All right. Can you guys turn the spotlights down just a touch? It is quite bright. Yeah. So, before I get into the recap this morning of where we've been in Jonah... <clears throat> I thought it was pretty funny. I have to give some accolades to Cody because uh, I got up early this morning, just finishing up, wrapping up a few things, and I kind of timed my sermon. And uh, I showed Catherine the clock after she woke up, and I showed her the clock. She just laughed. She's like, Cody, be proud. So <laughs> it's not going to be too long, but <clears throat> there's a lot to cover this morning. And I first want to say I've been emotional with Jesus all week long. Um, just absolutely in love with who he is and what he's done. So if I'm emotional this morning, sorry, not sorry. You know, we'll get through it. So recapping, we learn that Jonah was a prophet and that God called him to go to the horrible, sinful, pagan, undeserving, faithless, great, powerful city of Nineveh. And he was to call out against them and bring the message that their evil had God's attention and God was going to take action against their evil. So Jonah, in response to that, instead goes to a town called Joppa and gets on a boat to go as far in the opposite direction as he could possibly go. At that time, they even considered it to possibly be the end of the map. But after he boards this boat, we learn that they get out and they're on their way to Tarshish. And there is a great storm. God caused a great storm. And this storm was so great, in fact, that it threatened to destroy the ship and these mariners who were lifelong seamen. You know, I mean, they they were very, very, very capable. And they were hurling things overboard for the severity of this storm. This storm is all in result of Jonah's disobedience and running from God. So these mariners exhaust all these options, everything they can think of, praying to every God they can think of, doing everything they can do to save themselves and Jonah. And they finally realize that there's only one option. And God had Jonah cast overboard into the sea. So we learn that in in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. As Jonah's praying to God, he says, for you cast me in the deep. So the sailors were just the messengers. They don't really get the credit here. We learn God's omnipotence. And we learn from Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish 
that just as he was at the point of death in the bottom of the sea, that God sent the fish to rescue him from his death and from destruction. And after Jonah repents in the belly of the fish, the fish vomits him back up on the seashore. And God tells him again, go to Nineveh, declare that their evil has come up in my presence and I will not tolerate it and I'm going to put a stop to it. I will bring their destruction. So this time Jonah is obedient and he walks a day's journey into this great city of Nineveh, which was estimated to say a three days journey wide. So he's smack in the middle or pretty close. And he gives this great theological masterpiece of a sermon. Eight words in English. So he walks in, and I can't help but see, again, some really divine power from the Lord in eight words causing the most wicked, powerful city on the nation, in the world, rather, to repent. But those eight words were, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And this sermon, this eight-word sermon, rippled through the entire city all the way to the king, King Nimrod, who was known for is just known for his wickedness. So it makes it all the way to King Nimrod, and he is so broken over his sin and over the destruction that was promised to come that he repents in sackcloth and ashes and decrees that everybody in Nineveh is to repent of sackcloth and ashes, in sackcloth and ashes. Everybody is to repent from their wickedness. So we see God's repentance in their heart. And he relents from the disaster that he spoke would fall on them for their evil. And from this we learn where Jonah's motives have really been the whole time. He even quotes God's own description of himself out of Exodus 34 back to God. And he says, I know you you say you're a gracious God and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah knew that even through the wickedness of the Ninevites, that God was slow to anger and that God was going to grant these people repentance, these wicked people who had oppressed the Israelite people for years. Um, and without getting really graphic, you can look back. I mean, they were, they were pioneers of a lot of torture. I mean, they're just really, really wicked, terrible people. And Jonah could not stand the thought of them receiving grace and mercy from the Lord. He did not want restoration for his enemies. The scripture goes as far to say that he was exceedingly displeased. And we'll come back to that exceedingly later. But it says he was exceedingly displeased, even to the point of telling God that he would rather die than see goodness, grace, repentance, and mercy come to his enemies. And so we finished up last week in verse 4 with God really asking Jonah, you know, like, where's your justification in being angry? Like, why are you, are you sure you even have justification to be angry? We see God challenging Jonah on that. And so before we get started here... <clears throat> I just want to pray, and we will get into what we've got for this week, because that catches us up. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for being in a group of people here that I know walk with you and love you. And Jesus, I pray that this morning that you would give us something tangible 
from your word to walk away from. And God, again, I know the prep was there. I know the prayer was there. I know the desire to speak your word is in my heart. And Lord, I just, I also know that if you don't magnify it and attach your power to it, that it means nothing. And so Lord, I just, on behalf of your church here this morning, I just ask that you would speak that we might hear. And God, that I would decrease and that you would increase. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd love to take some credit for this little intro. I'm not really always the, uh, I'm more of the guy that's probably going to cry and talk about deep stuff a lot. And sometimes I need, I just need the refreshing, godly pastor team in my life. Um, and I speak, I speak this, yes, I am a pastor here, but I speak this excluding myself from that group um, of just being, getting to walk with these men, these pastors, um, and, and like they shared notes back and forth over scriptures and, and sermons, and there's always evolution on how to continue to glorify God and continue to grow the church, and um, they're just really some of the most remarkable men that I have the pleasure to walk with. And so there were some notes passed around. Some of them were from A.B., some of them were from Cody, and came to me. Uh, for prep of this sermon. And the intro here um, was just something I would have never looked at. So have you ever considered how books of the Bible would be changed so majorly if God left out that final chapter? Like in Matthew 28, if we didn't get the Great Commission, it kind of fall flat, wouldn't it? Or maybe in Ruth in chapter four, we would never be able to marvel at the lineage of Christ, you know, we'd never see this Moabite woman who's the great-grandfather of David and propagates all the way down to being the however many greats it needed to be for Jesus to come into the world. But now let's for a minute, let's imagine the book of Jonah with only three chapters. It would show us an amazing story of a man who ran from the calling of God, was transformed by God in that running, became obedient to God, and then because of that obedience, witness one of the greatest repentance stories in the Old Testament. However, the final chapter of Jonah shows us that in this story, the situation changes. Jonah watches the mighty power of God change the hearts of an entire city, but responds very negatively and angrily toward God for it. So this morning, as everybody gets a sec. Let's open up our Bibles or your device or whatever you've got, and let's turn to Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 5. And I'm very unprepared, but could somebody please bring me a water? Pretty please. Whenever you get there, say, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Ted. Yeah. All right. So starting in verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Remember that word discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So we see here that, uh, again, really Jonah's sulking. Um, And to quote A.B. from last week, I mean, this is next level pouting here. Um, This is all the way pouting. And uh, actually, in the same notes, I wanted to uh, I wanted to pull out too in, in AB's section of the notes right here. He worded he straight took his ball and went home. And I thought that was funny, uh, but it is a picture of kind of the spiritual immaturity that Jonah's struggling through here. And we see that he essentially went and built a booth on the outside of town to have a front row seat, hoping that God wouldn't relent his wrath on Nineveh. He was sitting there hoping to witness the destruction of his enemies. And so we, we see already um, just the anger that's still in his heart. So moving to verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. You'll see that I've got that word highlighted. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. Now this word discomfort, I did not realize this until I studied in-depthly this week, a lot more word study than I'm really accustomed to doing, but uh, it stretched me a lot. And so when I read, just reading the scripture without looking into any of the notes, I just assumed this was because Jonah was hot uh, he's in the desert. It's, I mean, it's, it's a hot, miserable place. And so God was just raising this plant up for his discomfort. But really, the root word, when you go back into the Hebrew, the root word that was used for discomfort here is actually va. And I've got a slide here. Uh, it's kind of fun to pronounce, pretty simple and easy, but it is essentially a root word for evil. And so not only did God chose when he wrote this scripture and preserved it all these years, he chose this word on purpose. And so, yes, it does describe Jonah and his uncomfort and his discomfort of the hot sun, but it's also pointing to Jonah's heart and the condition of it and the evil that's in his heart. And so we'll throw up on the jumbotron here. I uh, actually found in my study Bible every other time that this same root word was used in the book of Jonah to really solidify what God was saying about Jonah's condition of his heart. So in chapter 1, verse 2, we see, Arise and go to Nineveh, for their evil has come up before me. Same root word. We see in chapter 1, verse 7, the sailors said to one another, Let's cast lots to see on whom this account, this, or whose account this evil has come upon us. Chapter 1, verse 8, And after the sailors cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah, the sailors again ask him, where has this evil came from? Chapter 3, verse 8, King Nimrod is demanding that the city, the people of Nineveh, turn from their evil ways and from the violence in their hands. 3.10, God sees the city turn from their evil and he relents from their disaster. 
So that is, that is a two-part with the same root word. Um, really starting to get a picture here of why God chose this word specifically to talk about Jonah's discomfort. For chapter 4, verse 1, God's gracious response to Nineveh displeased Jonah greatly. Same root word. In chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah's anger arises from the fact that God relents from disaster. So after looking at all these verses and really kind of had my eyes open to a lot of this yesterday, uh, it really changed the way I was going to approach this sermon entirely. We really, Again, we just really see here, after all this repetition, we see that, uh, that God was very, very focused on the condition of Jonah's heart. And going back to verse 6, on top of that root word and just that repetition and what that means, we see another word here that I've highlighted. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So there's two times in the book of Jonah that this word exceedingly, this same verbiage was used the same way. And uh, that flagged my attention as well. The first time we see this word exceedingly in Jonah is when it was used to describe how unhappy Jonah was in chapter 4, in the first of chapter 4 with the Lord. He was displeased because he knew God would relent. He knew God was going to show mercy and abound in steadfast love, and he knew that when he went and spoke out of obedience to God, that God would change the hearts of the Ninevites. And he was exceedingly unhappy about that. And then the second time in this verse is where we see the same verbiage used the same way in chapter 4, verse 6, and it's showing how exceedingly happy Jonah was for his mercy and salvation. So I see a clear picture here that Jonah was exceedingly displeased for the salvation and mercy of his enemies, but he was exceedingly pleased for his own salvation and mercy. And I have that for the Jumbotron as well, just to compare those two verses, just to see the, uh, the clear line of his selfish heart and his desire to see his enemies destroyed. And I think we can all relate here to some extent, maybe not quite as dramatic as Jonah, but I think we can see this perspective. I think we, I think everybody gets caught in a little bit of that social media stuff where you look at this other family and of course, none of it's, it's all facade in some form or fashion, but you see this other family and they look like they don't have any marital problems. They don't have disciplinary issues with their children. Everything looks picture perfect. And it's really quick and easy to envy them because you see the, you know, the truth and the struggle of your own life. And it's really easy. It's really easy to get caught up in wanting bad things for other people, even when you don't realize how subtle it might be in your heart. That's really easy to get caught up there. Or maybe someone has sinned against you personally, and maybe they've repented, but you're having a hard time letting go of it. You're having a hard time showing mercy or forgiveness. There's something I've learned recently about mercy specifically. And everybody, everybody can look at mercy and understand how beautiful it is when you're the one receiving it. 
Everybody can understand that I'm receiving something that I don't deserve, that I didn't earn, that I didn't pay for. And it's a beautiful thing that I've received it. But the other side of mercy that I really um, took me 32 years, I guess, to even scratch the surface of understanding it. But the other side of mercy is that if it's truly mercy that's being given, it's because it cost the person giving it something. And so we'll continue on with that later. As far as coming, we'll wrap back around to the beauty of that mercy. But it's very evident here that, uh, that Jonah, like a lot of us, is, is struggling with the application of that mercy for his enemies. It's very easy to receive it for yourself. So we move on and we look to verse 7. And we see that the next day, immediately the next day, so this God grew this plant for Jonah's comfort in a day, and immediately the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And then in verse 8, I'm going to kind of combine them both together. I apologize, there's not enough room on there for, for all that text together. But moving to verse 8, when the sun rose, God, we see the second use of that word appointed, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to live or to die than to live. And so again, another word play for me, which is not something, it's not typically the way I would study or preach, but it was the, definitely the way the Lord drove me. So in the, in the entire book of Jonah, we see four times that we have this word appointed. And that means that it absolutely came directly from God. There was no question. God made it happen, spoke it, and it happened. So we'll fill that up on the jumbotron as well. It's already there. So the first, God appointed the fish in chapter 1, verse 17. And the fish rescued Jonah from death it gave Jonah direction. It spit him back up where he needed to be. It, gave, it taught Jonah humility. And it taught Jonah submission. The second time we see the word appointed is in chapter 4, verse 6, what we just went through today. The plant. God appointed the plant. And the plant was to provide comfort. You know, um, I, think, I think in this... This plant coming up not only provided, like we said, comfort and shade from the sun, but this plant also just solidified to Jonah where his comfort came from. And that, yeah, in this life, we might have some temporal comfort. We might be comfort from day to day, but the only absolute comfort that we have will never be the blessing. It'll never be the plant in your life. It's always the one whom gave the plant. And so... Again, that's the second time we see the word appointed came directly from God. The third that we see is that God appointed a worm. And see, immediately, God provided comfort. And then the next day, God sent the worm to destroy the comfort. And that, was, that was not an accident. It was very intentional, as we all know. 
but the worm comes to take away our comfort. And in truly walking with God, that is a pattern that you will see the longer you walk with him, the longer you walk with him, the more you will see the beauty in the worm in constantly driving you back to the one who sent the worm. The worm will come and take care of a lot of things in our life that we might not even know are in the way. It might not even know um, that the plant was our comfort until God takes it away and says, all right, I've taken away your great situation. Now where are you going to have your comfort? Where's it coming from? And I will say again, I quote John Piper often, but his ministry has blessed my life immensely. And one of his most solidified things he says is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And it's not what he gives us. It's him. The fourth time we see the word appointed is in chapter 4, verse 8. And he appointed a scorching, dry east wind. And this, I think, even just further solidifies the discomfort. And I think here that this truly just points to the fact that God will use every circumstance in your life to bring about the destruction of your pride, the destruction of your ability to provide any comfort for yourself, but not out of, not out of anger. Obviously, he's not doing it to watch you in pain. He's doing it because he is the truth and this world will deceive us and we can get caught up in our plant and caught up in our view of what mercy is. We can get so caught up in all that. And he just says, you know, that's okay. Not only will I send the worm the next day, I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely put the exclamation mark on that sentence. And I'm going to send a scorching east wind that's going to take out the rest and leave you with nothing. But a heart that is driven to come back to Jesus, to come back to God the Father. And so when we look again, back to verse 7, and we see the end of this, actually, sorry, it's a, uh, Yeah, verse 7. At the very tail end of verse 7, it is better for me to die than to live. See, at this point, Jonah was mad about multiple things. Jonah was mad about the repentance of the Ninevites. He was mad at the mercy and love from God the Father for his enemies that he didn't understand. And he was also mad about the plant. He was mad that his perfect scenario got taken away. I mean, essentially, he was mad that things like cancer happen. And he's mad that sometimes things in this life just 
for lack of a better term, just suck, you know? But God is faithful, just like we sang this morning, that in the middle of this, he promises that even though we are promised suffering and discomfort in this life, he promises to take us through it and to get us through it. And not only that, just like in Romans, where Paul says that the sufferings of this present age cannot compare to what awaits us as we choose to glorify God in this life. And we see here that Jonah is so angry and upset that he's wishing death upon himself. He's just like, you know, God, I'm so, I'm so caught up and I'm so twisted up in my own heart that I don't know what to feel. I don't know what to think. Just, just kill me now. And I just don't want to deal with any of it anymore. It's too difficult. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. And we really see here where his emotions and his thoughts um, just were preventing him from seeing what God was really teaching him here. And we see a history of this type of stuff in the Bible. You know, we see that the Apostle Paul talking about the thorn in his side in the flesh. We don't know what it is. There's lots of speculation through theologians and scholars, I guess probably since the day Paul penned it, but nobody knows what his struggle was. But we know that he prayed and asked God three times to deliver him from it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. We don't know, like I said, we don't know what that was, but we know that God very intentionally did not pull it from him. And we see the prophets, you know, we can look back through the prophets. I mean, I don't know if you guys have really spent much time reading through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And those guys did not have a picnic for sure. Um, they lived through probably some of the hardest stuff uh, that was ever written in the Bible to live through. And we see in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, that we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Which leads me to what will be sort of the main point. It's not sort of, it is the main point. I kind of want to change some of the order of how I've got this written, but I'm just going to continue on with how it is. My main point of this sermon, if you'll throw it up there for me, is that God will certainly sacrifice your comfort for the sake of your character. We're not promised comfort in this life. And we see, like I said, time and time again in Scripture where character is much more important to God. The condition of our heart is much more important to God 
than our comfort. And so we'll move to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And again, we see Jonah's mixed up heart and how angry he is. And we see that, again, it's very easy to rejoice over God's mercy for you and for your path. But it's an altogether different thing to understand God's mercy and salvation for your enemy. And so, I know there are believers here who have been in a similar situation. Again, maybe you're seeing God working mightily in an area that you wish He wouldn't. Or maybe you've seen forgiveness and restoration happen in an area where you didn't feel like it was justified. Or perhaps even a personal situation, again, where a sin is directed is directly against you, you feel like. And you know the person who committed the sin has repented, but you're still struggling to find grace and forgiveness for them. Well, we have our time of invitation this morning, believer. If that's you, I would, I would challenge you to come up and lay that at the feet of Jesus. Not necessarily, not necessarily to just pray for them, but I'm talking even just like Pastor Cody was saying earlier this morning, even when you don't feel like it, God knows your heart. He knows, he knows when you don't feel like praying something, but I'll challenge you to a deeper step of prayer. I would challenge you to confess, God, I know your scripture says for me to be this, and I, I am not this but I know and trust that you're big enough that you can change my heart. And so even if that's you this morning and you're in this and you know that your heart's not ready to pray and say those things, I would challenge you to pray and seek God to change your heart first in that area. And I promise he will be faithful. I promise he will be faithful. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've experienced it. To understand grace. And it does cost you something. Maybe it costs you. Sorry. You can't understand the mercy he's given you until you understand what it costs to give mercy to somebody else who sinned against you that doesn't deserve it either. Maybe it cost you reputation or finances. Maybe it cost you pride or it cost you some opinion of yourself in your own heart. It's okay. Let it die. Let it die. Get rid of it. We can all be, we can all read this today and feel super holier than thou and beat up on Jonah. But really, he's a lot more like all of us. Just going back to like the first sermon where A.B. stated there's a little bit of run, there's a little bit of this character of Jonah in all of us. I said it's really easy to sit up here with a wooden club and beat up the guy from several thousand years ago and think, man, if I was in that situation, I'd be a lot different. Would you? Either way, 
as believers, we're called. And we are called to extend the same mercy that was given to us. We're called to extend that for our brothers, for our sisters, for our church friends, for the people at work that we don't necessarily like, all the way up to our enemies, all the way up to people who wish the most horrible things upon you. We're called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And to the unbeliever here this morning, or someone who would definitively say, I do not walk with Jesus. I do not know the, this, this God or this Jesus that you're talking about. I know there are at least several new people, new families in here this morning because uh, our awesome deacon team's texting me as we, uh, as uh, during worship, just super jazzed of the new people that are here. So unbeliever this morning, if you would say to yourself, I am an unbeliever, if you would say to us, I would say that your place in this story that I've been talking about, you're the city of Nineveh. I certainly, I feel like I relate more to the city of Nineveh than anybody else in the story. Because man, was I happy. Was I happy for a short time and dead in my trespasses. I mean, so oblivious to the truth or what God had or even what was coming for me. So oblivious to it. And then thankfully God ordained, even, even if it was a guy who didn't want to go, thank God that he is thorough and powerful enough that he can send somebody that doesn't even want to be there and bring about salvation. Think about the power of that. The guy he sent didn't want to go, and God still carried out forgiveness and repentance to a people that didn't deserve it. And that's absolutely, if you are here and you do not know Jesus, I know it's cliche, I know you've heard it a thousand times, but it is not an accident. I'm learning as a pastor, the more and more that I talk, the less and less it really is about my performance. I do my best. You study, you prepare, you pray, and we speak the word. And God carries it out. God takes the eighth word sermon and can wreck and change an entire city from it. And this morning, if you're lost or if you don't know Jesus, the pathway that God has provided for you today in that is through his son, Jesus. And see this picture of Jesus. So Jesus sat on the throne with the Father. Scripture says that he counted equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and came to this earth. And you ask, well, why I've heard that, but why I don't understand really what the point was. Well, the point was is that God has made a law 
The first five books of the Old Testament are crammed full of law. And I promise you, there is not a single human in existence ever that has not broken that law. And if he is a just and perfect judge over that law, there comes a problem if he were to just pardon you for no reason. If you're sitting in a courtroom and somebody got caught red-handed doing something terrible and the judge just says, well, hey, since I'm a good judge, you're free, you're off the hook, everybody would jump up and cry out. There's no justice there. Well, God being infinitely more wise, God being the one who created justice and created how justice makes sense, he sent his son who perfectly walked in that law and who perfectly carried out every piece of the law and essentially fulfilled the gap that mankind could not meet in that law. And Jesus conquered that. And not only did he conquer that and walk out the law that you never could, that I never could, so we're standing condemned before a perfect judge. And it's as if Jesus then, sitting at the right hand of the Father, just says, God, I'll pay every penny. I'll put the money in their bank account that they don't have. I'll give them the funds from my blood and my body. And so when Jesus went to the cross, yeah, the Roman soldiers' hands were what carried it out. But much like we see, much like I was talking about earlier with the sailors, God had the sailors cast Jonah. Well, God, the Father, crushed his only son in your place so that the fulfillment of the law and the payment of your sin is all wrapped up in Jesus. You say, where do I go from there? Where we go from there is that Jesus calls every man to repent, to turn away from your sin. I'm not telling you to combat your sin head on because you don't have the strength to do that. But what I'm telling you to do is turn 180 degrees from it and hug his feet, hug his knees, and pray that he will deliver you from yourself, and he will do it, and he'll give you strength to live a life you never thought you had. He'll give you the opportunity. He'll give you the ability to be a husband you never thought you could be, or a son that you never thought you could be. He will give you new life in so many more ways than you can imagine. But he calls you to die to yourself every day. God, I feel like doing this today, but not what I want, what you want. What are you calling me today? Give me the strength to shut myself up and to, to restrain my heart. So right now, just with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I don't want to drag any of it out. I don't want to do any silly stuff. But I want to say, if you are here and anything that I have said 
has struck a, a chord in your heart or you've heard something that makes you that made your heart leap with joy I would ask that you would raise your hand just to make sure that I can see you because I want to talk with you. There's a pastor here, myself, any pastor here, any deacon here. There is somebody here that wants to talk to you. And I can't, I can't see a single thing. But let's just, if that is you this morning, I want to give you this space and this opportunity. I'll even call you out since I can't see you from where I'm standing. I'll even call you out to just come down front, grab me, grab Pastor Cody over here with the hoodie with the bench on it, grab Pastor AB. He'll be the tall one with a hat. If you don't know us, ask somebody. They will point you to us. It is, it is truly that important. And so as we go into this final song of worship, I'll wrap back to you, believer. I challenge you to really search your heart and to just lay your heart before the Lord and beg him to reveal any areas in your heart that have the same type of discomfort that Jonas had. I feel like that's what he's calling us to this morning. So as we worship, I would just challenge you to respond and listen to the Holy Spirit.